we can now put together what we've been saying about the revisability of truth, that it's something that we change in circumstances where old truths have ceased to seem appropriate or useful any longer, and what we've been saying about theology and apotheosis. The pragmatists wanted to reserve truth, although they never quite say this, for things that matter. They wanted to deem things true when they were assured of their importance as evaluated over periods of time. Truth, so conceived, is not a matter of the truths of isolated facts, isolated atemporal facticity, to give it a rather pompous name, but of the importance of truths when their persistence over time, their distribution over epochs, during which those sets and values of goods and values that have been found to expressed in them, that have been found expressed in them, have been validated, reaffirmed, and so deemed to matter. Their importance and significance has emerged and been confirmed by repeated challenge, analysis and readoption, or amendment or rejection. This experiment, for those that survive, has proved fruitful. Theology, and not only or uniquely theology, but also philosophy, science, history, and all the human activities where we like to plead some kind of compulsion that something out there has somehow forced us kicking and screaming to accept as true things that we have subjected to the most rigorous scrutiny. Theology and all these other things come to be seen for what they are and have always been a making visible of a group mind. And although the expression of these things has of necessity fallen to individuals experimenting with ideas, whether they be the Old Testament prophets or the Greek philosophers or the Confucius and and, and the Chinese philosophers or the gurus of India, all these and their subsequent histories, especially whether and to what extent they have survived, have been adopted and reappropriated time and time again, and even spread through advocacy, through mission, through proselytization, and sometimes, to our shame, through war, come to confirm or deny their appropriateness as expressions of group convictions expressions of tribal beliefs, expressions of social ontology. When we look at these things, and I think it's actually very interesting that our philosophy and our science and our history also embody these group minds. In other words, they are not the impersonal, objective truths that we like so often to think they are as features of this spurious claim that we are compelled to hold them as we do by some force of the universe, when we look at them, we see all of them as expressions of a particular 
experiment in life or a series of experiments in life. And if we are Western liberals, English Western liberals, and I do mean English, then we may see them as a sort of expression of our national identity, which of course is exactly what they are. But that doesn't mean that they should be universalized. It doesn't mean that they are optimal. It certainly doesn't mean that we've been compelled to adopt them. It just means that they happen to be what we currently think of as being true and as currently the best we can do right now in our collective efforts to get on. But I take it that it's obvious that in a spirit of internationalization, even-handedness, diversity, variety, and adopting a range of views that will help to immunize ourselves as a human species and as a living biosphere against the enormous challenges that lie ahead, we should be ready to think about other people's truths and other people's ways of expressing their group mind and not to crush them or destroy them as enemies, but see how and to what extent we can absorb them and make them our own for the greater common good.